Roundtable at LeoRoundtable.com. We're a law enforcement talk show. We talk about today's news and issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. And let me go ahead and introduce our panel to you guys, if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show. And let's see, we've got all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada, we've got Lieutenant Randy Sutton, and we've also got Attorney Anthony Bandiero, and we've got Special Agent Don Mihalik. So thanks for being on the show, guys. Appreciate it. Um, also sponsors Motion DSP, GallsGunLearn.com, MyMedicare.Live. We are fueled by Bang Energy, which is why I talk so fast. And also a shout out to Brian Burns for the free press and Red Voice Media with Ray Dietrich. Thank you for carrying our our stuff and being a great uh, source uh, provider of some good content. So guys, a uh, look a, a a great lineup. You know, you you just can't duplicate some of the stuff. And you know, Don Mahalik got a hold of me and he said, "Hey, you, we need to cover this uh, presidential." Uh, State of the Union address, especially as it relates to police reform. Um, so, look, without without even any more hesitation, Don, unmute that microphone and let's go ahead and get into what happened uh, last night during that address. So, if you guys enjoyed watching the State of the Union last night, President, I think he spoke for an hour and fifteen minutes, and in that he spoke about police reform about asking Congress to send him another police reform bill, which was code word for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which failed to pass Congress the last time. And then he also talked about the border and the crisis at the border and about four lines, including the fentanyl crisis, uh, asking for more money and more support and stuff to lock down the border. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it's interesting to me that, you know, if we're having a crisis in policing, it seems to me that the, the resources and stuff need to be pushed out to the local and the state level to be able to handle the professionalization, the funding and the training portions of policing versus Congress sending out edicts that really don't mean much. So I don't know if you guys have a take on that. Well, you know, I uh, and I know Lieutenant Randy's on the show. Uh, I always listen very carefully when I hear the words, you know, police reform, because uh, look, we, it's all, in my opinion, it's all about training. You know, we need more training. Cops should never turn down, you know, more training. Uh, but, but Randy, I, I know you've got thoughts on this. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I'm actually preparing um, what I'm calling the state of law enforcement in America uh, to counter um, what the president said, or more importantly, didn't say. Uh, he didn't address any uh, any of the of the of the real issues involving policing. And the word re when they use the word police reform, they really mean revenge. They're still they still want revenge uh, for the uh, you know the uh, alleged uh, you know misconduct of the George Floyd incident and um, and the and the, the the narrative of racist systemic racism and policing. Um, and yet no one is really talking about what's happened, at, which, which is evidenced by no, the Memphis debacle, and, and, uh, which is the, the, uh, the creation of this environment where people don't want to be cops anymore. And as a, re as, as a, uh, a, a relationship to that, the, the lowering of the hiring standards that was evidenced by uh, Memphis, uh, yep. the leadership of Memphis PD, is is solely to to uh, uh, bear responsibility for what took place there. Massive leadership failure, and we're going to continue to see this as police agencies diminish their uh, their standards. Yeah, well, and the other problem is they want to professionalize policing, but nobody's doing anything to professionalize policing. There's no funding streams being pushed down. Departments are still running slim. 
They can't recruit. They can't retain because they can't pay what they should be paying. Um, there's no increase in the training requirements, which I think we all agree need to happen. I mean, if police is a profession, it needs to be professionalized. You know, an academy, an academy for four weeks or whatever, or, or four months, and, and uh, some field training is probably not enough in this day and age. You probably need a several month process to become a cop and to really know what to do on the streets. But like the George Floyd bill, and this could bring Anthony into this, you know, it targeted things like qualified immunity. And I wanted to strip qualified immunity from law enforcement officers, which, you know, in my opinion, it's totally misunderstood what qualified immunity means and it's misunderstood what qualified immunity does. I don't know if Anthony wants to take off on that and talk about qualified immunity for a couple of minutes. Yeah, look, I think qualified immunity is um, it is misunderstood. So, you know, so it's a two part test, right? The first question that the courts should answer, and sometimes they don't, but is whether the officer even violated the Constitution. I mean, um, the Constitution, or at least the Fourth Amendment, is 54 words. It only prohibits one type of search or seizure or use of force, an unreasonable one. And then the next question is, all right, fine. Um, the officer did do something that violates the Constitution. Was it clearly established? That's where that's where the rubber meets the road. And the reason why we need qualified immunity is because you have officers out there that are doing a very tough job and um, they should not be held liable for, you know, doing making a decision that even the courts don't know what the answer is. In other words, as some courts say, they should we should not penalize court, uh, cops for choosing the wrong side of the of the debate. Right. Um at the same time, though, you know, I just want to another kind of mantra that I have is that, um, you know, when it comes to professionalizing police, police officers do need to up their A game on their on legal issues. Um, yep. And and that, you know, so I like to say, look, you know, the best way to win qualified immunity is that first question. Did you violate the Constitution? If you didn't, then you don't have to worry about clearly established. But we need both. But anyway. No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. You got to update game. You got to understand qualified immunity. You got to maintain a constitution. Randy, the training, the retraining requirements for a lot of departments go out the window when they cut funding. You know, yes, and and that's, and the, first, you went, that's the first thing right? they cut. First right. thing they cut. They cut. They cut stuff, and then and then now they want cops to go out on the street and basically be the do all the societal stuff. They want them to be the counselor, the doctor, the clergy, the teacher, you know, and the law enforcement officer. But they don't give them the training tools of the time to actually perfect those skills. Chip, you probably see it in Tampa all the time. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because we have a lot of listeners that are thinking, hey, qualified cops don't need qualified immunity. They don't understand that. The first word of that is qualified. You don't get it automatically. You have to qualify for it. And another thing is, is that it has nothing to do with criminal. There are a lot of people out there that they can cops get qualified immunity and that it has something to do with uh, criminal liability or being charged criminally for an action that you took. And they don't realize that it only has to deal with civil litigation. And so when Anthony was talking about um, that kind of liability, he's talking about civil liability for things you've done and, and, and those hoops that you have to jump through in order to have that withheld from you, that, that immunity. It's not like absolute immunity, which is what a lot of uh, uh, judges and Congress people enjoy. Yep, and they get absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. They get it. Absolutely. They don't have to qualify yep. for anything, you know, so it, nope. it's just huge, hugely unjust. No. And going back to the training part of this, like, you know, they want to abandon, they want to outlaw chokeholds. They want to outlaw certain restraints. They want to outlaw stuff. And Randy, you know, as well as I do and chip, if you're rolling around on the ground with somebody, you know, you could end up in a chokehold with somebody or them choking you out because it's a survival situation. But at first, the first inkling from Congress was to ban it outright. 
Yeah. Which well, didn't like seem they, like the right move. They set the stage by calling it a chokehold, number one. It's really not. Look, if it's an approved hold, it's not a chokehold. It's a carotid restraint or some variation of that name. It restricts the blood and oxygen flow to the brain. You pass out. You got about 20 seconds to put that bad guy in handcuffs. He wakes up about 20 seconds later. He's cuffed, and, and it's a ga- it was a game changer, and it, it was a great equalizer, too. Uh, I mean, I, I see Randy. He's not trying to show any emotion, but inside he's like, yeah, I've used that a number of times. Well, it's a great tool for law enforcement. <laughs> yeah. I, well, used, I used it on an airplane once. Oh, you got to tell the story. <laughs> I was on it wasn't the pilot, was, was it? No, I wasn't the pilot. <laughs> you know how you can always tell when somebody walks on the airplane they're going to be an asshole? You know that? Yep. Well, so this guy gets on. He, he, you can tell right away he's going to be a problem, and he sits right in front of me in the in the aisle seat, right of next, course. right, right, right. I'm right behind him, and he is being obnoxious, and he's he's being abusive to the to the the flight attendants. I mean, to the point where we're up in the air now, and and she's been warning him and warning him. So I took her aside and I said, "Look, if it gets really out of hand, I showed her my badge. I said, you know, if there's a problem, I'm, I'll I'll be available for you." Well, sure as hell, he 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 gets physical with her. He grabs her by the butt, and she gives me the nod. And I just kind of reached over the seat, and 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 as he got up, I did the LVNR on him, laid him out on the laid him out on the uh, in the in the aisle, and the captain came out and put cuffs on him, and he spent the rest of the flight on his stomach right by the men's room. They make movies about that stuff, Randy. <laughs> no, but you know what? You would think they would have given me some drink tickets for that, wouldn't you? Not at all. Not, you have to go. <laughs> too cheap. You can't yeah, even you fly can't. to Florida for less than three thousand dollars. Yeah, right you now. probably had a big ass smile on your face, and they're like, "Hey, this guy likes doing this, and drinks will just make him more." <laughs> and, uh. and, and and the other point on this police reform stuff that's going on is, your DOJ right now is putting the finishing touches on a police accountability database. Oh, where boy. they're going to push out, yeah, they're going to push out a police accountability database and a database. And at first, the deba- database is pretty much going to be all inclusive. Any any um, incident that happened where an officer was accused of being in the wrong would have been dumped into this database, and it would have been a one-stop search for other departments or lawyers to find out if the officer had been disciplined in any way, fashion. I think they've got that narrowed down to. Uh, you know, found or confirmed disciplinary actions or legal actions. But just think about it. Think about what that is going to do overall to the hiring process in the country. No, 100%. That now you're going to have to worry about getting dumped into a database if you do something wrong. And if it's found to do something wrong, or if they run you, it could potentially be held against you. It's the only professional world that this exists. Yeah. And so, you you know, you have these officers who work in areas that where the, a lot of the public hates them, or at least they, they're very vocal about it. They want to get out. They want to go to a place like Texas or something like that and, and, you know, have a different life. But they have these complaints that are probably, you know, not necessitated. Uh, you know, eventually it's going to turn into that, though, right? Right now it might be founded, but eventually it will be just bold-faced allegations. Right. Yeah. They, instead, of, instead of creating an environment... You got, you got a few seconds. Go, Randy, go. Finish up. So instead of creating an environment that makes it easier to hire cops, they're making it more and more difficult to hire good cops. Hold that thought, guys. Commercial break. We will be right back. Motion DSP, they've been supporting the law enforcement industry for over 15 years for their robust suite of video and audio redaction and enhancement software. 
Now, Motion DSP software is easy to use, requires no specialized training or expertise. You can save valuable time with Spotlight's one-click automated tracking feature and forensic suite of enhancement filters. You can achieve results quickly in just three steps, import, process, and export. Now, Spotlight was built specifically for redaction. It's designed to work with both video from any camera source and using motion DSP algorithms and object tracking technology. Spotlight automates the process of blurring faces and other identifiable information, saving users countless hours compared to manual frame-by-frame -frame redaction. And forensic enhancement software allows users to quickly process and analyze any video file format using patented super-resolution algorithms and enhancement filters to reveal an unseen level of detail. You can get forensically valid evidence from low-quality video in minutes instead of hours. You can learn more at MotionDSP.com. Check them out, MotionDSP.com. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show at LeoRoundtable.com. Uh, guys, I know that we uh, left off talking about the uh, President Joe Biden's uh, State of the Union address. Uh, uh, Don, do you want to go ahead and, uh, and close us out on that, and we'll move on to the next topic? Well, I wanted to jump into the second part of what he talked about, which impacts law enforcement, is the border crisis. And he spent, I think, four lines on the border crisis, including fentanyl. Two million people across the border, illegal, being cities all over the country. Yet there really wasn't a plan presented other than he said he wanted to um, uh, fund and provide more resources for CBP, I guess. But like, you know, and Randy, you're probably seeing it more than, and Chip too, probably seeing it more than anybody, like, the, the, the you know, folks coming over the border are, are landing in places like Las Vegas and down in Florida and the impact on, on the local governments, including law enforcement. Yeah, that, that was those comments he made uh, uh, amid the heckling that was going on from the uh, Republican audience. But uh, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Randy. I know I'm, I'm holding uh, quite a few topics that I want to get to, but go ahead, Randy. No, I just want to say that, that, that this administration is the most lawless administration that I've ever seen. They, they care nothing about the consequences for criminality, which is feeding this incredible rise in crime we've seen uh, over this nation since uh, Biden took office. And uh, we're, we're, yep. there is nothing there is nothing that I am seeing that's, that is saying it's going to change in this administration at all. 100 percent. When you don't when you don't have a border strategy and you don't lay out a border policy, this is what happens. Right. When you, it's a free for all. So. You know, meanwhile, the border was virtually secured under when the last administration left, good, bad, or indifferent. It was under control. And now we have a free-for-all. And what is that? Because there's no policy. The last administration actually had a policy. Whether you like it or not, there was a policy there. I'm not expecting any changes anytime soon. All right, guys, I want to move on to our, our next topic. So good commentary, good topic. Thanks for suggesting that, Don. I think that that was uh, an excellent topic uh, or topics to start off with. Um, on Police One, uh, or at least he thinks the banning guns for marijuana users is unconstitutional. So we're in Oklahoma City. So this federal judge in Oklahoma has ruled that a federal law prohibiting people who use marijuana from owning firearms is unconstitutional. And that latest challenge to firearms regulations after the U.S. Supreme Court's conservative majority set new standards for reviewing the nation's gun laws. So lawyers from uh, are for Jared Michael Harrison, they argued that their client's Second Amendment right to bear arms was being violated by a federal law that makes it illegal for, quote, unlawful users or addicts of controlled substances, unquote, to, po to possess firearms. Harrison had been charged for uh, after being arrested by Lawton Police in Oklahoma in May of 2022, so just, uh, just shy of a year ago, after a traffic stop. During a search of his car, they found a loaded revolver as well as a marijuana. I guess the guy hasn't upgraded to the uh, semi-automatic handgun jet, uh, Randy. But Harrison told police that he'd been on his way to work at a medical marijuana dispensary 
but that he did not have a state-issued medical marijuana card. His lawyers argued that the portion of federal firearms law focused on drug users or addicts, it was not consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation, regulation, echoing what the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled last year in a case known as New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And that case set new standards for interpreting the Second Amendment. So kind of curious, there's other stuff on here. The judge is Patrick uh, Weirich, um, and the ruling actually came a day after a three-judge panel of the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans on Thursday ruled that the government cannot stop people who have a domestic violence restraining orders against them from owning guns, which is just uh, normally you would think a few years ago, you think that was crazy. And uh, and they referenced the Bruin decision as well. Uh, guys, any surprises here? Um, uh, Randy, why don't you start us off on this one? Actually, I'm sorry, a- Anthony, <laughs> you got the attorney hat on. Why don't you start us off and, and dummy it down for the rest of us here and we'll get going. Yeah, so look, uh, this is this is this is the right decision here and the way I look at it is that basically federal law is trying to um you know criminalize people for a status, right? A status of being a, a, a purveyor or consumer of marijuana or an addict. There is there there's no conviction there. All it is is a label on a person and saying that you do not get fundamental rights anymore because you 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 fit this label. We don't do that with any other fundamental right. We don't say addicts, you know, quote unquote addicts or uh, consumers of marijuana lose their First Amendment speech, their Fourth Amendment rights and so forth. So this is fundamentally the right decision. Um, I'm a huge Second Amendment advocate and stuff like this makes my day. A little dirty, dirty, hairy. Uh, Well, and and to echo what Anthony's saying, the federal statute is pretty clear. Convictions are what would make you a prohibited person. And in this case, the guy wasn't convicted of anything. He was found in possession of something found legal that, that's legal. But I think this is the tension point that's going to happen out between states and the federal government with federal law with the whole marijuana thing. While states have legalized it, whether we like it or not, um, it's going to create this tension point with things like this. And, and just one more thing, too. It's like even even if there was a conviction, whether it's for um, methamphetamine or even marijuana, the next question is, do you lose your rights? Because of that conviction, I mean that's not you know the domestic violence convictions for misdemeanors. Do you lose your rights for that shit? And this this um, this protective order uh, one too is phenomenal because any you know as cops anybody can accuse somebody of you know some kind of harassment and get a protective order against that person. <laughs> boom, they lose they lose their rights. Right? That's why the why the protective order is in place? That's not that's not right. We think Randy. <laughs> I, I actually agree with there everything you guys are saying. You know I was. I was really against the legalization of marijuana. Um, I think it. I think it's especially when you walk down the Las Vegas Strip. Yep. It, I know, geez, right? Ah, um, yeah, uh, but but the reality is this. I mean, our society has changed. Um, if we're going to legalize it, how do you then penalize people for doing something that's legal? And you know, we got to. We have to. Unfortunately, there's there's. We have to change with the times. And we have to do the right thing. I mean, now we're seeing, you know, there's a lot of questions now, right? When, especially when, it, when you talked about drug use with, with police applicants. Um, yep. And yep. I mean, it really opened up yeah. a can of worms. But, and, 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 and there's no consistency from state to state or even no. department to department. So it's, no. there's, there's going to have to be some point where there is, there is a, uh, a legitimate, you know, line that we can we can look at and say if you cross this okay but if not we got to do the right thing i think the other important point with this case anthony is the fact that it was a, a medicinal situation so basically he was carrying a, a medication prescribed by a doctor 
Exactly. Yep. So, and uh, he was not guys, at the time. That thought, we're going to take a commercial break. We will be right back. All right, guys, let's talk about Galls at Galls.com slash Leo. Look, a lot of us in the law enforcement profession, you know, we're huge fans of Galls. I mean, I kind of grew up in my career uh, with Galls. I mean, they were, look, they've been around for a long time, but they are now the country's leading uniform, clothing, equipment, and gear provider for law enforcement. I mean, uh, that is huge. Now, they have a variety of offerings, everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty belts and tactical gear. I mean, chances are, if you see a cop on the street, sheriff's deputy, police officer, whatever, they've got something that, uh, that definitely that Gauls carries and probably that, that they got from Gauls or their agency got from Gauls. So a lot of us took advantage of, uh, of Gauls.com slash Leo over the Christmas holidays for ourselves and friends and family. I, uh, I highly recommend that you go to Gauls.com slash Leo. Check out the specials. They got a lot of free shipping things going on at discounts. Just a great resource. Again, Gauls.com slash Leo. Check them out today. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. I'm, I'm laughing because I'm looking at the uh, the commentary. We've got online guys. Look, we're streaming on StreamYard, but uh, we're on YouTube. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all these resources. So Anthony's talking about my age on there. So Chip and I are the same age. I, I love you, Anthony, because you definitely look younger than I look. So, um, But anyhow, I uh, I think that, uh, Anthony, I think you were talking when we had to go to the commercial break. So uh, go ahead and, uh, and pick up where we left off. Now, I think I was actually done, but I do want to talk about the elephant in the room, which is uh, Randy's flag in the back. Now we can't be seen in LEPD or Seattle. So thanks, Randy. Yeah, Randy started that movement. So, no, he, uh, <laughs> he uh, you, you pot stirrer, Randy Sutton. I won't, I won't be on the uh, uh, L.A. police chief's uh, Christmas card list. No, after, no. Uh, after, after what <laughs> yeah, I said about on Fox News. No, I don't have anything else. I don't think, uh, Chip, unless, I, unless I'm forgetting something. All right. Well, look, uh, excellent commentary, guys. We've covered some uh, um, some good topics so far. And we have a video coming up. And look, for our podcast and radio listeners, look, we're going to describe in great detail what's going on. Look, our goal, you're giving us your your lunch hour time, uh, Eastern time, you know, from 12 to 1 o'clock. So we just want to make this a, a very informative but a fun time for you guys so that if you listen to the show Monday through Friday, that you're going to know the pulse of what's going on you know, across the country, especially when it deals with law enforcement. doesn't matter whether you're active or retired, friends and family of law enforcement, or whether you're just a citizen that loves cops, or maybe you hate cops. You know, we've got just about everybody, you know, that watches our show. So let's see, uh, moving along here, this very first one, it's on policetribune.com, and it's titled, Bullies Ruthlessly Attack a Nine-Year-Old Girl on a School Bus After the Mom Alerted the School of a Problem. Now, look, I decided to include this. There is a law enforcement component to this, uh, but it, it, it is, I will tell you, it's short. Um, let me see. It's uh, it's 18 seconds long. It's in Homestead, Florida. I had a lot of trouble watching this video. Um, it's t- It says in the article, horrific cell phone uh, footage. Uh, I agree with that. Capture the moment when a, moment when a nine-year-old girl is ruthlessly pummeled, pummeled by two bullies on her school bus last week, and these were substantially bigger boys than which than her size. One of the suspects is the 14-year-old boy, the victim's mother, Jeannie, told CBS News. So, um, so well, Jenny, I guess, his mom, reached out to the local uh, news outlet, 
hours after the assault to report problems with bullying at the Coconut Palm K-8 Academy, according to CBS News. She said her children have been enrolled at the school for three weeks, but that they've both been assaulted during that time. She said her nine-year-old daughter and her 10-year-old son were both uh, pummeled by bullies while riding the bus on February the 1st, and that's on CBS News. She said that she was horrified when someone sent her the now viral self video uh, of the uh, of the footage of this going on with her daughter being beaten by two boys <clears throat> that day. And the footage showed a boy who appeared to be in his teens as he punched the nine-year-old third grader repeatedly in her face, her head, and her neck. And a second younger boy is also joining in, striking her over and over as she cowers and futilely attempts to shield her head from the blows. Now, Miami-Dade Fire Rescue, they get there, assess the two children for injuries, and then release them to the parents. The victim's mother said that there were at least two adults, the driver, and an aide that were actually on the bus at the time of the attack. She said that she's pressing charges against the Coconut Palm K-8 Academy over this assault and the repeated incidents that led up to it. And uh, she said that she there have been issues with her son and the kids in the bus and also in the cafeteria and dismissal. And so uh, apparently she's saying the school just, they didn't take care of it. Lieutenant Randy. Not only did they not take care of it, but they actually told her that she should take her kids and go to another school. I mean, it, it is the most outrageous thing imaginable. I mean, watching yep. the savagery, this, this savage beating. I wanted, if I could take that kid, I would do to him well, all right. Um, you're you're not Randy. You're, you're, yeah, not Randy. You're right. But but this all goes to the current environment of like, you can't take this stuff lightly in schools anymore. If you're a school district, if you're law enforcement, and there's a and there's a report of a threat, especially a threat of violence, you got to jump all over it, be on top of it, investigate it, and take some corrective action against it. It's no longer let the kids sort it out because of situations like this. And I think what's happening now is schools are finding themselves on a hook for liability by not being proactive and not taking action against a situation where a kid is identified as a bully or a threat or whatever, you know. And, um, you know, schools can't afford not to do that. And the police can't afford not to do that. Those kids probably should have been in juvenile custody a long time ago. Well, and it's it's, it's unfortunate because I because schools will go after the kid that talks about having a Red Rider BB gun for Christmas, you know, but yet. They yep. tell this family, hey, go to a different school. I mean, it's just it's so ridiculous where our yep. society is at right now. And, of course, um, we, we, you guys already mentioned about some some of the reasons why that is. And the adults on that bus, the adults on that bus should be probably sued as well and held liable as well. I don't get I don't get in this day and age where you're an adult and maybe it's society where it's this touchy feely don't intervene kind of scenario we're dealing with right now. But if you're an adult and you see kids beating up other kids, your job is to go in and break it up and stop it. Yeah, stand by well, and watch. Florida, yeah, Florida actually is one of those states too, by the way, that has very strict laws on or negligence laws on this, so that school officials can be held uh, liable too. So it, it's it's hard to sue the government, but in this case, it looks like a good case. You know, I, I wish we had a video feed uh, for Randy's uh, door doorbell uh, cam because after after this episode airs i know that there's going to be like a bunch of eight nine ten year olds that are going to be waiting for the ambush randy next time he leaves his house and uh and you know it's going to go down i figure that maybe if we get if they get six to eight of those guys they might be able to take him at least at least briefly you know anthony you should reach out to the family and represent them <laughs> hey look I'm, I'm looking for a new i'm looking for a new mercedes so let's do it uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, excellent, guys. Uh, let's see what we got coming down the uh, the pike here. I know we got another main story, and it kind of touches on what Don was wanting to talk a little bit more about, lawofficer.com. We have 55 migrants who have died in federal custody at the nation's borders in 2021. And this is like new data that's come out. It revealed that 55 immigrants died in federal custody um, in the fiscal year of 2021. So we're talking the fiscal year here. So this information was shared on Monday uh, by uh, Customs Border Patrol, they revealed that approximately one-third of the 151 deaths reviewed by its uh, Office of Professional Responsibility between October 1st, 2020 and September 30th, 2021, it took place while interacting with or being detained by that agency, and that was in the Washington Examiner. So an astonishing, just under 2 mil, 1.95 million people were encountered trying to enter the U.S. without permission in 2021. Now, just let that number sink in. That does not include the gotaways, which are the illegal Im- immigrants who successfully entered without even being detected. And that was in the Daily Wire. So the Border Patrol has estimated that approximately 1.2 million gotaways uh, exist under Biden's leadership. So the 55 deaths, um, that figure was significantly higher than the 10 migrant deaths that the Border Patrol disclosed in the media reports on its website in 2019. Yeah, only 10. And that was in the Washington Examiner as well. So roughly one third of the deaths in 2021 occurred while being transported in a vehicle collision, while being detained and arrested by the Border Patrol, and in other situations that directly involve the federal agency, according to the data. And so far, this fiscal year, nearly 300,000 illegal immigrants have evaded Border Patrol with an average of about 2,500 a day, just in the last 120 days, and that's according to Fox News. So, um, guys. Uh, I, wonder, I, I wonder how many of those deaths were due to malnutrition, uh, 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 disease or COVID because the border was the only place in the country during all the crazy lockdowns and the COVID place where you could cross and come into the country and have COVID or not get checked. Crazy. So, yeah. so you, so you really wonder like out of those 55 deaths, how many were actually because of either, you know, the, the poor person came up here with the hope and dream and coyotes and paid their way, you know, 2000 mile trek and was, you know, starved, half starved and, and, and didn't have water uh, and wasn't inoculated and caught God knows what coming through the jungles of Central and South America. And, and how many of these people came across and caught COVID because they're in these huge camps surging across the border and they're coming in contact with people with all kinds of diseases. I know there was an article a couple of years ago about with the illegal immigration crossing, the impact on schools and school districts because they're getting, you know, measles, mumps, things that we cured because of vaccination plans that they don't have in other parts of the world. Don't worry, Kamala Harris has it has it in hand. <laughs> wow, you actually uh, have to say that. Uh. Uh. <laughs> and 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 with Title and Anthony with Title Forty Two, like you know, the Biden administration keeps playing with Title Forty Two. It's been like a ping pong ball in court. Yeah. So no, no, no comment. We'll, um, no yeah. comment. All right. Um, well, guys, uh, excellent. You know, we've got another one here. We've got a lawofficer.com, and I know the music's going to start in about 30 seconds, but we actually have 45 seconds before we need to stop talking. But lawofficer.com, Minnesota Democrats want voting rights restored to felons that are currently imprisoned. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll make this as quick as I can. Uh, so they, uh, they want to join just a handful of states where felons never lose their right to vote. Now, this is revealed during a House floor debate on Thursday night, which saw the passage of Representative uh, Cedric Frazier's DFL-New Hope bill to restore voting rights to felons once they're released from incarceration. And under the current law, felons are not allowed to vote until they complete their entire sentence, including probation and parole. But 
Two Republicans, Representative Danny Nudo and Representative Andrew Myers, voted against the legislation. And House Republicans said the bill is a bad idea because of Minnesota's status as a low incarceration state. Guys, commercial break. We'll be right back. All right, look, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. GunLearn.com, they've taken the confusion and the learning, and they've made it easy. GunLearn.com is the first and only company to offer a step-by-step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist, kind of like Captain Brett Bartlett, who's a panelist, and he's actually uh, watching the show today and, and commenting. So they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy. And their training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leos need to know about firearms and ammunition to all batches of law enforcement. Now, you can start today with online training, or you can register to attend a live seminar. You can actually get free training for yourself and the personal at your agency by hosting a seminar at no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. Again, gunlearn.com. Let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific healthcare needs? The answer is simple. Contact mymedicare.live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby, meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays, find plans that your doctors accept, and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, mymedicare.live. Guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. You know, uh, Lieutenant Randy, I know there's a lot of guys in prison right now that you put there, and they're not happy about this proposed thing about voting rights and, uh, you know, not being able to get them, perhaps. What do you think? I don't, let's put voting booths in the freaking prison now. Let's just let's just do that. Let's just. Well, of course, the Democrats want 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 to restore voting rights to prisoners because that's their demographic, and uh, and they they want you know it's they'll do anything, absolutely anything to uh, to shore up their political base. And this is just another this is just another way to do that. You know, I I was thinking, Randy, that. You know, we should do something a little proactive on this show. You know, people are singled out because they have ankle, you know, bracelets, ankle monitors on. I was thinking about maybe having some printed up with the Leo Roundtable logo on them and just distributing them to our fan base just so that when these guys aren't unnecessarily singled out as being, you know, convicted felons or people on probation, you know, I think that that might be a, a step in the in the right direction. I'm sure the Democrats would accept that with open arms, I think. <laughs> We might be able to maybe maybe one with the wounded blue on it. Maybe maybe not. Maybe you may not like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll pass on that one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Anthony, uh, real quick uh, before we get into our, our next one, which involves a video component, um, can you uh, just talk uh, just briefly about what your organization you're involved with and what you guys do? Yeah. So um, and actually, Randy and I have a, maybe a little bit of a connection. Um, my company is called Blue to Gold Law Enforcement Training. We do search and seizure training. Um, but uh, I was a trooper in Las Vegas. I read Randy's books many, many years ago. He was uh, definitely part of my inspiration of, you know, my commitment to law enforcement. And um, I work for Las Vegas Metro um, a lot, at least two weeks. I'm there physically two weeks a month uh, doing search and seizure training. So um, that's that's my connection with Randy. So I'm finally glad to meet you. Um, but I, right now I'm in Illinois, for example, teaching Aurora, Illinois, um, the whole department search and seizure. So that's that's kind of what we do. Uh, we're we're legal trainers essentially. Well, I think that next time you're in Vegas, uh, it's cocktail time. Hey, absolutely. I'll be there uh, next week. So I'll I'll uh, reach out to you. Hey, do you that. Know, 
I feel like a matchmaker. Look at that. Wow. You are a matchmaker. No, let's not go crazy. Let's not go crazy with that term. No, this is the first date. This is the first date, Chip. Don't get crazy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. I don't want him to choke yeah, me on the first date. I don't I want him to choke way, me on the first date. I'm not easy, okay? I just want you to know that. I'll tell you As long as you're cheap. I don't care about easy. Just cheap. Your assignment, Randy, you got to get a video of you of you doing a carotid restraint on on Anthony. But he'll, he'll come to you in 20 He'll be fine. But, Anthony, your goal is to get a video of, of Randy getting two taser probes in the back. He doesn't have to see it coming. You don't have to yell, taser, taser, before you do it. No. Just get it on video. I'll hook you up. Uh, deal. Let's do it. But I'm a, I'm a good runner, too, because if he catches me. <laughs> hey, Randy hey, got those hey, arms. Hey. Anyway. Make sure you have the sound turned on too. I do want sound effects when Randy. I don't want to hear bodily fluids being, you know, called. I just want to hear her screaming. That's all I want. I want the, you know, the microphone up high, not down low. Okay. But here's the good news: if Randy assaults me and he becomes a felon, he's still going to have the right to vote if he goes to Minnesota. So that he has that going for him. There's your incentive, Randy. All right, excellent. Look, uh, on Police One, uh, there's a video component. So look for radio and podcast listeners. We're, or again, we're describing in great detail what's going on so you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. So in this audio and video thing that was released showing, it shows, look, I'm going to try to get through this without laughing. I don't want anybody, you know, writing messages to me about being insensitive because this guy, you know, was an amputee and stabbing people. It's just, look, you have to see the video to see where I'm going with this. But audio release showing an amputee stabbing passerby before being fatally shot by California police. Morning, you can see 36-year-old Anthony Lowe. He is a double amputee who was shot by officers. This all goes back to January 26. It started with this shooting, rather stabbing at a Shell gas station. This is video uh, that we got this morning. You can see him getting off of his wheelchair while hobbling. He approaches a man on the street and stabs him. This man, the victim, was critically injured and is now in recovery. In speaking with other media, the victim says he was attacked randomly and does not know Anthony Lowe. We also heard an audio recording of someone calling 911, giving a description of Lowe as the stabbing suspect. There is also new video. Take a look at this, capturing the final moments from a nearby business. Officers claim Lowe was trying to get away and was threatening officers with this. You got to watch. You got you got. I mean, if you guys haven't seen this, I'll describe in great detail, but it, it's, it's something else. Huntington Park, California. Authorities released an audio and video Monday related to last month's fatal police shooting of a stabbing suspect near Los Angeles or near L.A. So I've got just over five minutes. But um, Ramiro, who's the victim in all this, described a random attack on a sidewalk in which for a moment he believed that he uh, had only been punched. And then he realized that his wound was far worse. So he said that he's crossing the street when he spots a man who ends up being a bad guy named Anthony Lowe with both legs amputated at the knees. And he gets off his wheelchair. And Ramiro said that the man asked him if he was all right. And he said, I turned, I looked at him and I go, yeah. And, uh, and then at that time, he just punched him. Romero said that he, he had initially uh, didn't spot the knife, but then he saw blood gushing out of his armpit. So surveillance video of the stabbing appears to support the victim's accounts of what he said happened that he made in the 911 call. And then the Fox 11, it shows Romero walking past a gas station. He's approached by this guy with both legs amputated on the knee, at the knees. The man strikes Romero in the side, and then he scrambles away. He's scrambling away without being in the wheelchair. He's, 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 he's scrambling away. Um, so when responding officers approach the suspect minutes later, he pulls out a foot-long 30-centimeter uh, knife, and he tries to throw it at them. Uh, the officers use a stun gun, taser on him. The guy, again, tries to throw the knife at the cops, at which time an officer-involved shooting takes place. So in the video, it has no audio, uh, but an officer overturns the wheelchair uh, that 
the man had gotten back into, and he tumbles to the sidewalk. He leaves the wheelchair behind, and he scrambles along the sidewalk, followed by three officers with their guns drawn. Um, he turns toward the officers, and he briefly raises the knife uh, again before they open fire, and he collapses. So the time between the stabbing and the shooting by the officers was approximately seven <clears throat> minutes. So that's what we have. Um, I know you guys are fighting to see who's going to go first on this one. Go ahead, guys. Just just jump in. Everybody's got their mics open. We got three and a half minutes. Go ahead, Randy. And, 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 and Randy, Randy, at the end of the three and a half minutes, you've got a Wounded Blue segment coming up. But go ahead. Okay. So here's the here's the irony is that the guy lost his legs from a from a, a police involved use of force in Texas. And the family is now suing immediately, like they the next day they're they're suing for wrongful death and everything everything else, saying that he was depressed because the cops took his legs during another <clears throat> encounter. And that's what he that and he was going through a mental health problem. And now they're suing the police. But this guy, this was one of the craziest looking videos ever. He's slashing at the cops. He's running on his little stumpy poos. And 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 it is that was the inevitable happened. Yeah, look, uh, from a from a from a legal point of view, a couple things. I mean, obviously, um, you know, when you when you bring a knife to a gunfight, things happen. Right. But the, the. before I go to the to the, the straight defense of, of cops, you know, we have to actually have a conversation about this. You know, one of the things is, you know, at the time of the shooting, um, you know, was that the was that the right use of force? And, you know, I think I think Graham versus Connor is pretty clear. Um, it's a pretty low bar, but I would like to know about the backdrop. I would like to know, you know, if he I, I saw him almost like trying to throw the knife. But I, I wonder if cops could maybe back up. In other words, here's my my mantra on this lawful but avoidable right um jim glennon talks about these issues he you know he talks about hey look it, it's not just you, you know you don't want to just look at is it justifiable at the time also we we do want to avoid if possible these these use of forces um and I, I just have questions on that i, I like i actually have more for my legal brain i have more questions than answers right now about where maybe there's people down the street the street did look pretty at, 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 um, desolate um i don't know yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I have more questions. This cat was getting around pretty good without having legs, let me tell you. He, he was, was moving he was, pretty good. Yeah, he was, yeah, he's definitely, he could have been a poster child for those who are paraplegic, but instead he uh, tried to have a fight with cops and he lost his life over it. And, you I know, think, that's. I think, I, I think this was suicide by cop, actually. I think yeah, he, he instigated, yeah. uh, you know, by, by stabbing an innocent person um, and, and, you know, severely injuring him. Uh, he knew that the cops were going to come, and of course, yeah. you know the the inev- and like I said, the inevitable happens if you're going to if you're going to take a knife to a gunfight. They did try to tase him. Um, you know they use they use right. the you know the the, the force continuum, um, and and uh, you know they, we had a very limited viewpoint from that surveillance camera. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, we do, and I think again. It seems to, you know, satisfy Graham, but I, but again, this whole, this whole mantra of justified but avoidable is also a good professional conversation to also have um, with these with these cases. All right, Excellent. I'll bet you no. Huntington Park's going to pay pay out. I'll bet you they're going to write a check. They probably will. You think, huh? Wow. But well, at least we have the video component for this particular story, anyhow. So it's it just, uh, yeah, just. Uh, scary. I, I, I was expecting Randy to have some stories he could relate to from his years with Las Vegas Metro that were maybe somewhat similar, uh, but uh, but but who knows. Commercial break, guys, and uh, Randy, the floor is yours. Give me a 
take 45 seconds, give me 15 at the end. Okay, the Wounded Blue is the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. This month in January, 34 police officers were shot at one more than one every single day. Last In the last two years, more than 100,000 were physically assaulted. The Wounded Blue is a nationwide charity that helps injured and disabled officers, whether those injuries are physical or emotional and psychological. So if you are in law enforcement and you're struggling, reach out to us at thewoundedblue.org. And if you support law enforcement, this is the way to show it. Go to the woundedblue.org, see what we do, see who we are, hit that donate button and give what you can. And if you are a business and you want to sponsor some of the programs of the Wounded Blue, contact Thanks, Randy. me, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org. A shout, Motion DSP, calls, gullearn.com, mymedicare.live, Bang Energy, thank you.